0: Welcome to Songcraft, Spotlight on Songwriters, a biweekly podcast featuring in-depth conversations with and about the creators of lyrics and music that stand the test of time. I'm Scott B. Beaumont.
1: And I'm Paul Duncan. To make sure you don't miss an episode, please
0: take a moment to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also keep up with us on social media by searching for one word, Songcraft Show, or visit us at songcraftshow.com. And if you believe in the
1: Songcraft mission, please consider supporting us by visiting patreon.com slash
0: songcraftshow. Our guest on this episode of Songcraft is Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Steve Perry. Named one of Rolling Stone's 100 Greatest Singers of All Time, Perry penned classic journey songs such as Any Way You Want It, Open Arms, and Don't Stop Believing, as well as solo hits such as Oh Sherry and Foolish Heart. He joins us in a moment to chat about his approach to songwriting and his new holiday album, The Season. This episode of Songcraft,
1: like so many
0: others, is brought
1: to you by our fine friends at Pearl Snap Studios. Justin and the fine producers at Pearl Snap Studios have made dozens, if not hundreds, of demos for Songcraft listeners. I'm not even talking about the dozens, if not hundreds, they've made for other people, but Songcraft listeners have
0: spoken, and they are pleased. Yeah, we've heard a lot of great feedback from people who listen to this show, who have a song that they've written, and they want to get a professional quality demo made of that song Uh, Justin and his team are the kind of people who can take a very rough demo, just a guitar vocal piano vocal, whatever you got, you can send it to them and they will talk through what you want, what you envision and they will bring that thing to life either as a quality pitchable demo or maybe you've just got a song for a special someone in your life that you would like to uh, give to them as a a birthday gift or a holiday gift of some sort and uh, and, you know you just want to make it for your family or maybe even just for yourself but if you've got something in your head and and you know that you need somebody to help you get that out and get it into the form you want it uh we always recommend these guys as some of the best around so go to pearlsnapstudios.com find out all about it and tell them songcraft sent you and when you do they'll even give you a little discount as a songcraft listener part one well, you know, the holidays are a time of year where people think about charitable giving, and uh, Songcraft is in no way a charity. No. Uh, we can <laughs> we can offer you no tax deduction, right. but when you think about things that are important to you and things that have been part of your life over the year, things that are meaningful, uh, maybe Songcraft does fit the bill in that regard. And for people who believe in our mission, for people who want to help get on board uh, with being a part of what we do here in terms of preserving some of the wisdom and, and just some of the insights of of these fascinating and and amazingly talented songwriters, there is a way that people can can do that. They can get involved.
1: Yeah, it's called Patreon. You go to patreon.com, and if you're one of those people who ever even thought about donating to Wikipedia then I would say consider supporting us on Patreon. Because, it, listen, guys, Wikipedia is going to keep going. Don't yeah, worry about fine. it. They're going to keep fine. going. They're sitting on mountains of cash. Um, but for us, I mean, every bit of support goes a long, long way. And and we have things that we offer to our supporters. You know, you, there's some Songcraft swag and, and, you know, stickers and T-shirts and things like that that we offer. Um, there's bonus material. If you love the show and you'd like a little bit more of the show, we've even got a, a little bit from today's Steve Perry episode. That's right. A question and answer that we didn't include.
0: Yeah, and uh, we even have opportunities if you support us at a certain level to uh, have you as a, a guest for a few minutes on the show to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Uh, and and even there's an opportunity for folks uh, to come and have lunch with us. Uh, we're not going to pay for your flight if you uh, don't live in the Los Angeles area. But if you can get yourself here and, and you're a Patreon supporter at a certain level, we will take you out for tacos at our favorite taco place right here in Inglewood, California, which is the, of course, world headquarters of, of Songcraft. Um, So if you're interested in helping be a part of what we do, of actually officially joining the Songcraft team, check us out at Patreon.com. You can search for Songcraft or go directly to our page at Patreon.com slash Songcraft show. And the way
1: we got into this whole conversation about Patreon, Scott, is that you were mentioning that it's the holiday season. That's right. And as such... We here at Songcraft like to do these holiday episodes. If you're a friend of the show, a listener
0: of the show for any period of time, you know that we like these holiday episodes. We are festive people. <laughs> that explains why you're wearing those uh, reindeer uh, antlers and that red nose today. And that's not why. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause I have, I have noticed you wear those kind of all year round, but, uh, yeah, we always like to do a holiday episode here. And this year we actually are doubling down. Uh, we've got two episodes in December. Um, and today's episode, we're going to be talking about Steve Perry's new Christmas album. Uh, and you know, we're going to be talking about a lot of other stuff too, in addition to that. But, um, this is kind of the kickoff for us of the, the Songcraft holiday season. We've got a great episode coming up next with Amanda Shires. Um, again talking about a lot of stuff in her career uh but also really focusing in on uh her brand new holiday album that she's got out so we're excited this time to like we're, we're pulling out all the stops for yep. christmas this year and steve perry's christmas album it, it really covers the gamut
1: kind of the greatest hits i mean yeah. there's there's like a canon of christmas songs you gotta the, hit
0: the classic american songbook of, yeah. of the holidays
1: i mean you got the christmas song you know the chestnut song obviously i'll be home for christmas winter wonderland santa claus is coming to town um i love it when we get a chance to dive back into this Christmas canon You know Yeah um, what's, what's funny about it to me though And, and I do have to point this out you'll, you'll notice this Even on the radio There are some songs That get kind of included In Christmas season Right That really aren't Christmas songs Hmm And I'm gonna tell you The one that fits this bill You know Probably the most And it's my favorite things, the raindrops on roses song, right from, from Sound, Sound of music. music. Yeah, somehow has become a cri- and I think it's just because it
0: says brown paper packages tied up in string. I think that's the only reason. <laughs> right, it's it sounds like well, there's a present in it, so that fits the bill, <laughs> right, right? Right. No, you're you're absolutely right. There are, uh, I mean, Jingle Bells uh, makes oh, wow. zero reference to Christmas, but if I was like, hey, let's sing some Jingle Bells in July, you'd be like, you're yeah. you're a sociopath. I mean, it is a winter, <laughs> it is a winter song. Right, and maybe that's some you know, but we should be able to
1: sing it in January then.
0: But if you rolled up today and and you were playing uh, "Summer in the City" by Eleven and Spoonful, and that was you know coming out of your car windows, I wouldn't be like, "Dude, what is wrong? Right. With Why you? are you listening to a summer?" But something? if you rolled up here, you know, in the in the middle of August, and you were listening to "Sleigh Ride," right, uh, which I don't think mentions Christmas. In, I don't think, I don't so think it does. Uh, but I'd be like, "What, dude?"
1: I mean, I, I just, off the top of my head, Let It Snow, I don't think mentions Christmas. I think it's just like,
0: it's cold. Right. So let's stay inside. Yeah. yeah. That works in February. Summer songs seem to be like allowable all year long, but cold songs are relegated to December right. for some reason. Right. Maybe it's cold outside, doesn't right. mention Christmas. I mean, to me, if if
1: it mentions the word Christmas, um, something about Jesus's birth. Right. Uh, or Santa Claus those to me are are the things that make something that sort of have to be a christmas song
0: right cuz doesn't i've got my love to keep me warm actually work better in january or february than than even december but that is thought of as a as a yeah. holiday song
1: and i'm not suggesting that we just go blow the whole thing up <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm
0: just, I'm just pointing. This is what we do
1: here, right? We, I'm just pointing some things out.
0: Yeah, and I gotta say, a lot of those songs that aren't really Christmas songs, but we listen to it at Christmas, it, it's, it's kind of the, um, it, it's the diehard of Christmas music, right? <laughs> it's because there's always yeah. the old, uh, there, there's the debate: is Die Hard early a Christmas movie, right. or is it just a movie that happens to be set at Christmas? Right. Um, I, and Home Alone maybe even kind of fits that, that bill as well. Oh wow,
1: yeah. I mean, um, I would call Home Alone a Christmas. I but uh, Die Hard is more Christmas adjacent. Yeah, and I, I think agree. Some of these songs are as well. But but again, I'm not saying take them out.
0: Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying take them out. No, and and you know we actually have a playlist that we made a few years ago, and we um, make it available every year. Um, we're going to put that on our homepage at Songcraftshow.com. We have a Spotify playlist. We will put a link to it so that you can go right to it. It's, uh, I think well over a hundred Christmas songs. Mm-hmm. There are, there are no repeats of songs and there are no repeats of artists. So Incredible. it's, it's really like a, a comprehensive playlist. It's got your sacred songs. It's got your most ridiculous songs. Uh, <laughs> it's got, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas on there, but it's being done by Lake street dive, wow. um, which is actually really cool. So we even f- took the annoying Christmas songs and found non-annoying versions of them, <laughs> um, But yeah, if you, uh, if you go to our website and and check that out, you can listen and you're going to hear, um, you know, your jingle bells and your winter wonderland and your jingle bell rock and all these songs that don't actually mention Christmas. Uh, but they're still part of the beloved uh, Christmas canon, but you know, We're here, I think, just to, to kind of stir up trouble. Pretty much. Yeah. I I consider us rabble rousers. (laughs) Very, very much holiday rabble rousers. (laughs) Got a little, uh, got a little Grinch attitude. So yeah, Yeah. that, you know, we, we roused your rabble. There you go. (laughs) You're a mean one, Mr. Paul. Part two. One of the most iconic voices in rock music history. Steve Perry is best known as the lead singer of the band journey during the group's most successful period. His first top 20 pop hit as either a performer or songwriter was the solo-written Lovin', Touchin', Squeezin', which became a hit for the band in 1979. In the following decade, he co-wrote an unbelievable streak of classic songs with Neil Sean and Jonathan Cain, including Any Way You Want It, Who's Cryin' Now, Open Arms, Separate Ways, Cinder My Love, and Don't Stop Believin', a single that's been certified five times platinum. His 1984 debut solo album, Street Talk, produced the classic singles Oh Sherry and Foolish Heart. After pinning additional Journey hits, Be Good to Yourself, Girl Can't Help It, and I'll Be Alright Without You, he departed the band and released his second solo album, For the Love of Strange Medicine, featuring the single You Better Wait. After briefly reuniting with Journey and co-writing the additional hits When You Love a Woman and Message of Love in the mid-1990s, he stepped away from recording. Steve returned in 2018 with his third solo album, Traces, and has recently released his fourth solo record, a holiday collection called The Season, produced by Steve and Tom Flowers, and featuring contributions from multi instrumentalist Dallas Cruz. The Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, who Rolling Stone Magazine named one of the 100 greatest singers of all time, joins us to talk about exploring the Great American Christmas Songbook from a writer's perspective, to share some stories about his own songs, and to offer some insight into his approach to the craft. Steve, welcome to SongCraft. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: You have a brand new Christmas album that we have been enjoying, and it's full of classic songs like I'll Be Home for Christmas, Winter Wonderland, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. And and as you know, we are songwriters here. We'd like to talk about songwriting, and you are one of the best, a wildly successful songwriter yourself. So you obviously know your way around a good song. How did you go about picking the material for your
2: Christmas album? That was a difficult thing to do. Um, I, I sort of fell back into the Christmas inspiration of my childhood. And by that, I mean, I, I'm kind of a, a reflective fantasy person anyway, meaning, you know, when I start to write music, I, I go into what I call... Um, the landscape of possibilities. And by that, I mean, I'll put on the headphones and I might have more echo than anybody could ever imagine on my voice. And I might be sitting there by myself or with another writer and I just do the best I can to fall into the emotional landscape of possibilities and let it sort of just let it float Mm. in some dream sort of state that I find is a state of timelessness. And so when it came to these songs, I did the same thing. I floated back to my childhood emotionally and started just playing around with, uh, you know, the Mel Torme Christmas song, which I, I'm sure they wish they would have changed it to chestnuts, but because <laughs> everybody knows the opening line, you
0: know. Yeah, right.
3: Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe You know, so all these
2: things I heard originally in my grandmother's kitchen in the holidays. And when I went back to that moment in her yellow tiled kitchen tops and this brown Bakelite Philco radio that I can see in my mind that she always had tuned to KNGS, the station in my hometown. And she's cooking and I could smell everything wonderfully being cooked. And, and I turn and I look down through this... Uh, door jam into the living room where the Christmas tree is on the right hand side against that window and there's presents under the tree on that door jam, I used to hang mistletoe because there was one tree in the yard that would grow this stuff and I would sneak out and grab it and I would just when no one was looking I grab a chair and I would tack it up and so I said to my grandmother come here come here she said what I said come here now, I'm being demonstrative to my grandmother. And she's looking at me like, what the heck's wrong with this guy? I said, come over here. And so she comes over here and she stands right next to me. Now, I'm in the door jamb. She says, what? I pointed to my cheek on my finger. Hmm. And she says, what? And I pointed up and she looked up and saw the mistletoe. She started smiling. She gave me a kiss. <laughs> so, look, these are the emotional landscapes hmm. that I believe songwriting is a ab- about uh, whether it was journey solo projects or this christmas record with these timeless songs which are charged i mean they are charged with our memories like i'm talking about right now to where you can't hear these songs and not have reflective images in your heart about moments in your life so that's the magic of a well-written song
0: you know, the thing about Christmas music is it so often brings us back to our childhood. As you're talking about it, it it has such memories connected with it. And you mentioned listening to KNGS, which was a, a radio station in Hanford, California, in the San Joaquin Valley, where, where you grew up. Right. right. Um, but I understand that your your father... Um, owned K-I-G-S, which was a Portuguese language station also there. As a kid, I mean, was there a draw for you in terms of the idea of, of radio and being able to broadcast your voice? What, what kind of impression did that make on you as a kid?
2: A very big impression because he used to do, I think it was a Friday night voice and piano live thing, where they had a piano in a little room with those old acoustic tiles, the kind that were in the roof of your school when you were a kid. Yeah, right. you know, the, the room was completely surrounded by those tiles. And there was a grand piano in this room. You could barely stand in it. They had a mic in there. Had, he would sing, uh, and I'd hear him on the radio. And so that used to just completely blow my mind. Huh. I became obsessed with radio. I had a crystal set when I was a kid. I went to sleep listening to it. Um, before there was transistor radios I had this thing called a crystal set and then I got a transistor radio when I was in single digits older and I listened to that all the time so I think radio and music were synonymous mm-hmm. and they were synonymous with great songs you know of that era and my dad being a singer uh, really left a mark on me emotionally I I mean, he would sing to me when, you know, to sleep, you know, when I was time for bed. And uh, so that's that's a lot of emotions, too, you know, that come with all that. And um, yeah, yeah, so you, can't, you can't ignore that. So I think the reflection of of us being able to get in touch with even our departed relatives uh, for some people this christmas is going to be difficult right because they've lost people of recent uh, year in eight months nine months at the same time people like me have lost their parents uh, a while ago so it's always a bittersweet thing but in the end it's a a tear of joy that it actually happened you know yeah
1: Yeah. well i mean there's it's, it's interesting that, that we're talking about this feeling of looking back and, and sort of the wistful nostalgia that these songs bring. You know, I, there are some vibes even on the, on the Traces album, songs like Noah Racing, where I hear kind of like that wistful nostalgia. Um, oh, most certainly. But I can look back, honestly, even songs like um, Still They Ride, you know, from back in the day, yeah. there's, you, you've always been able to communicate that. Is, has that always been kind of a part of your creative personality um, to, to not just access a feeling, but a, a nostalgic feeling?
2: yeah it's let me see how do i say that to me they're audio movies that's what they've always been uh still they ride is main street Hanford, california growing up and um seeing the whole american graffiti thing happening in real time not something that george lucas decided to do a reflection on in the movie yeah american graffiti um that period was was alive when i was a little kid and um main street was alive and the neon lights and the street lights and people cruising. And, and it was, there was a, it was an amazing camaraderie going on and, and conflict from city to city. People yeah. would show up from different towns with hotter cars decide to challenge the car of that town. Right. Right. A lot of stuff, you know, and so still Day ride is literally about a guy that continues to to cruise. He continues to ride Even though the time in which he became uh, infected by it all has passed. Yeah. And, uh, but he still, he rides. And in his heart, it's still happening. (laughs) i love that song i can tell you stories about how that song came about if you want to hear them always so so i come in we had a journey had a a a rehearsal uh, house in oakland a warehouse actually in oakland and our manager herbie herbert had acquired this for us so we could sort of keep storage and have a big place to rehearse i would say it was the one of the most valuable things and by that, I mean, when it came to songwriting, you can write songs and then arrange them and then walk in the studio and you're going to get a certain sort of a, a growth of the song, a certain performance of the mm. song. We're talking live performing, by the way. Yeah. We're not talking about grids and Pro Tools. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're talking about no samples. We're talking about performance in the process of performing in the studio was where they could come to this other place but what i learned uh very quickly was that if we were in that warehouse in oakland and uh all of a sudden somebody's playing something and i was playing the bass on this particular one till ross got there and neil's playing some changes and it just felt so great and i just i just opened up and and benny i'll never forget benny our road manager came into the into the rehearsal cuz he heard it going down what it was was there was seemed to be a songwriting exchange in sort of a band way where i'm going still they ride and he mm-hmm.
4: goes
3: da 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 i go on wheels of fire he goes da da da, da. Yeah. i go they rule the night and he goes da da da, da, da. Wah! And i go still they ride da da, da. Uh, The strong will survive chasing thunder.
2: So that was a give and take between Neil and I that made a chorus a band moment. Wow. And those kind of things are songwriting too, but they're songwriting of a different way. You know, that only, only test driving at blistering levels guys, (laughs) you know, (laughs) at blistering levels where the thing is just bombastic. Do you get this feeling that it's lifting off the ground like an airplane and it's starting to soar? And that's for me where the ideas start to show up.
0: You know, we were talking before the show about Um, the idea that there are certain songs that it's almost hard to imagine that they were written because they just feel like they've been part of the fabric, uh, you know, of our culture. And it's, it's almost hard to imagine like a couple guys sitting down in a room and, and writing, you know, something like winter wonderland or Santa Claus is coming to town or have yourself a merry little Christmas. I
2: agree with you. I mean, listen to that. I mean, I looked it up. That was written in 1934 is what I found out.
4: Yeah, but (laughs) my version
2: of it my version is me trying to bring it into the consciousness of the music i was raised with right especially that one winter wonderland especially that one is is got this motown homage
1: yeah for sure
2: built into the rhythms built into the melody um embellishments um but I didn't want to step too far away from the core melody because it's the timeless aspect of the song, but I wanted to step out of it, you know, and then come up with different sections. And, uh, and Dallas did some beautiful backgrounds, which I ended up, uh, leaning my voice against his backgrounds to have another vocal texture. So, uh, that, that one particularly, um, was one of the most different, uh, examples of of what can be done with timeless music. That song is timeless.
3: Later on, we'll conspire As we dream by the fire
0: Interesting to to think about you as a um, writer and a performer who is recording these songs that are so timeless and have been interpreted by so many different people. Um, at the same time, you know, you're a guy who wrote Don't Stop Believing," <laughs> which has a very similar quality um, in terms of that song has just become such a part of our, our fabric and, and part of our culture. I would imagine it's it's got to be a little bit wild to start thinking of yourself in terms of you know to me a song like "Don't Stop Believin' or "Open Arms" those are the continuation of the Great American Songbook. Those are the types of songs that live well, on and on, uh, and, and people know uh, them. Uh, I, what are, what are your thoughts about
4: that? <laughs>
2: You're killing me. I I <laughs> I uh, I just don't know to say about that. I mean, I guess. I'm extremely fortunate that my father's DNA <laughs> that he gave me was so musical that I would be able to participate in, in the DNA from Neil Sean and Jonathan Kane uh, to write these Timeless Journey songs. Um, but at the time, I don't want to speak for them. I can only speak for myself. They were just another track or another song that we really believed in. Hmm. Songs like Happy to Give is one of my favorite songs. No one has ever talked about it or has never seen the light of day, a journey song. Um, There's a lot of songs like that. Um, Hmm. Those songs, you know, um, that we wrote together, um, they just, they were a moment in time and like I said, they all, in my opinion, were like children. And every one of them were so different. And every one of them deserved as much love and attention as the other one. Mm. So we didn't give Don't Stop Believing any more attention than Happy to Give or them mm. My Love. We didn't, really didn't. They all got, in my from my standpoint, I was there early. I always left late, you know. Yeah. So um, that's just the way it went, you know, because... There was this concerted effort. And um, it was a slogan I told John Kane one day. I said, listen, John, timeless music takes time. Wow. So, geez. so don't, <laughs> That's great. Don't, don't be in a hurry on this, you know, because it can be frustrating, you know? So uh, whether it's that or, or me and Randy Goodrum get together on my Street Talk record." This is a classic songwriting moment and a new one for me, by the way, that reminded me of when I first wrote open arms with John Kane was very similar. I'm in Los Angeles and I, Andy Newmark, the drummer from Roxy music. And I think he played on uh, fame. uh, David Bowie's fame. Great drummer. um, Says to me, you need a great songwriter to collaborate with. If you're going to do a solo record. I said, well, who's I?" He said, well, there's this guy in Nashville, man. He is really a, a great songwriter. Just don't, you know, don't think that it's, he's country just because I said the word Nashville. I said, but I do love country music, by the way. You know, you have no idea how much I love some of the original country music. And uh, so he said, okay, well, so then Randy flies out to Los Angeles. We sat down one day. He started playing. Next thing I know, Foolish Heart was written. Mm. And the only thing it needed was lyrics. And so I said, well, great, gosh, well, when we get back together, Randy, um, let's go to lunch. When we get back together, we'll, we'll do the lyrics. He said, oh, we should skull, this is his words, we should skull out the lyrics today, skull, he said, huh. okay. I- <laughs> we should skull out the lyrics today. I said, really? He said, yeah, let's go to lunch. We'll skull them out after lunch. Oh, gosh. So we get back after lunch and we did. That song was written in one day. Ooh! And it felt so good because it was written with a Lin drum machine for sketching purposes only that we could never beat the feeling it had with a Lin machine. So the original version is a Lin machine. Huh. Wow. It was about feeling. Again, it's about selling a feeling. See?
0: Yeah.
1: You know, uh Randy actually uh, was someone that we interviewed a couple years back. Um and we were
2: oh, he's the greatest. He's so
1: great. He is so great and so so gracious with us. Um, and I mean, the two of you really were, were a team. I mean, I, I had the USA for Africa record when I was a kid too, if only for the moment, girl was one of my favorite songs on that record. And then to find out you guys wrote that together, uh, one of your songs together shows up on the traces album. I mean, how, I'd like to hear you talk about that a bit in terms of just like team, because I, I, you know, you wrote love and touch and squeezing by yourself. So obviously you can write a song on your own, a hit song that the whole world knows, But there's something about collaboration that, you know, there's collaborators all through the Traces album, all through your solo work. What Mm -hmm. is it about finding that teammate that means something to you uh, creatively?
2: That's a really, really good question. I think my strong suit is collaboration. Uh, Because no matter what someone brings to it, I know I can pour myself into that and make something of that lift a bit Hmm. so i get easily inspired by things i'm not knowledgeable about which is mainly you know voicings and chord inversions i am not a trained guy in this area i'm just not you know but when you randy goodrum shows up and he'll play a chord a certain way next to another chord and i'll say well what is that so well it's just a d minor whatever with an augmented and he'll talk you know a, a language that is foreign to me yeah But I love the way it is. I said, I don't know what it is or care what it is, but I love the way it sounds. Yeah. Hmm. He says, Well, the difference is instead of putting it the, you know, the fifth on the top, I'm putting it on the bottom. It's voicing. And I'm going, Again, (laughs) I hear what you're saying, but I don't know what you're saying, but I love what I'm hearing. (laughs) You know? Yeah. So do that. You know, do that. So that I'm an auditory person. Yeah. I've always, as, as a kid, I do voices. I do characters. Uh, I always thought that I wanted to be a, a cartoon voice or something. Hmm. But uh, when you work with people like Randy, um, or other people I've collaborated with, like Barry Eastman, uh, there's there's a lot of people um, that just bring what they bring to it. Yeah. My chore, whether it's Journey or that, my chore, my job is how do I make this into something bigger than, than it is right now. How do mm. I lift this up and make it soar
0: Yeah, huh. as a song, as a song? Yeah. 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 You know, one of the things about writing is, is rewriting obviously. And, and some songs spill out and they're like drop out of the ether, fully formed, you know, other songs are things that need um, some shaping and, and some working and, Um, you know, for just as an example from your, uh, from the Christmas record, uh, you recorded Silver Bells, which was written by Jay Livingston and, and Ray Evans. The original title of Silver Bells was Tinkle Bells, <laughs> uh, and I didn't know that. I think the writer, one of the writers, played it for his wife, and she was like, "You can't say Tinkle. That's, <laughs> you know, that's not that, <laughs> that, that's not the uh, that's." So they they went back to the drawing board and and said, "Oh, okay. Well, Silver Bells, and and obviously that was that was the right thing." But but one of the things about writing is being willing to say, "Okay, well, let me change even one word sometimes, or let me change one little thing." Uh, and it and it kind of turns the song into to just the right thing. And I think about that um, with your song "Lights," for example, which I understand was originally not about San Francisco, uh, but with a few not. tweaks, it changes the whole thing. Can you talk a bit about that?
2: Well, it it found its rightful home eventually, but little did I know uh, that that was coming. I had written that idea when I was living in Los Angeles, trying to get in the music business and knocking on doors. There was no other way to do it except cut some demo tapes and hopefully somebody will call you back. It was really tough. It seemed like a monstrous, uh, opaque place with no doors and just kept trying. And um, I thought, well, maybe I'll write something for the channel seven, six o'clock news. So I thought, when the lights go down in the city and the sun shines on L.A., I thought that's all I had. Yeah. You know, I didn't have I wanted, I, anything else. I just had what, what you call a, a bumper statement that had that same melody. And the lights go down in the city and the sun shines on L.A. You know, that's all I had. And they were going to use it as a bumper going into the news, I thought. You know, <laughs> well, that inspired it. Nobody ever heard it. <laughs> Nobody... Nobody, channel seven called me up, said, Do you have anything? No, nobody. <laughs> I didn't know where to go or no one to take it to. So it sat in my chest somewhere. Hmm. And fast forward. Uh, Herbie Herbert heard my demo tape um, with a band called the alien project. And uh, one of those songs, if you need me, call me and, and my, 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 and, and harmony, some great songs we had written with that band. Um Fell into his hands, and he calls me out of the blue and tells me there's this band journey he manages, and they want to make a musical change. Next thing I know, Machido, uh, you because know, I knew about Neil, and and uh, Neil was, you know, a guitar player that, uh, uh, back when I saw him performing during the early Journey days, was soaring above the city of Los Angeles on the wings of a white Stratocaster. I'm telling you, it was unbelievable, hmm. and. Um, so, I knew about him, and I would give anything to be next to that because I knew that that guitar and my voice could be something. So, there's you know, there's two lead instruments in the band it's not lead drums, not lead bass, not lead keys, but there is lead guitar and lead vocals. Yeah, so those two instruments need to be somewhat uh, complementary and symbiotic to each other. So, that being said, um, when I got into the band and started working out the music with them, I pulled out my light's in the city, sunshine's on L.A. Mm. And I started thinking when I was a kid, San Francisco was the city by the bay. That's all I knew. Yeah. And, and I used to go up there when I was really young with my grandparents. And I just loved the fresh air up there. I love that city by that bay. I love the bridges, the Golden Gate Bridge, especially. I just used to think this is like a magical place. Then I'd go back to Hanford. And, you know, the cows would do what they do and you'd smell it in the air. But anyway, <laughs>
3: you know, if that's what the town
2: was, a farm town, so it had the fragrance of fresh cows. Anyway, uh, so it was a bit of a different situation. But I joined the band and uh, changed it from L.A. to the Bay, the city by the Bay. Yeah. And then I envisioned what it would be like standing on the golden gate bridge at sunrise and watching the city lights go down as the sun takes over. So that was something I thought in my mind was a cool thing to say. The sun shines on the bay, you know, when the lights go down in the city and the sun shines on the bay. So that that's, there's a transitional moment where all those lights in the buildings and everything and the street lights, everything, the sun takes over. I just thought that was a great sort of visual. Yeah. And, um, that song got born. And then Neil and I worked together on the bridge and um, kind of the rest is history.
1: I, I think about you in those early days, and I think about, you know, writing from a place of just possibility. You know, a, everything you're writing mm-hmm. is, you know, you, you, the unknown, you know, what the future is going to be. And then you get to the point where, you know, y- your potential is realized and you're a star and you're, you know, then then you're maybe writing from a place of pressure, I don't know. Um, and, and then all this time, you know, people know who you are, they know your music, they know your voice. It changes. It has to change the way people approach you and may even change the way you approach the craft. And then now I look at these last couple of records you've put out after so long in between that maybe it gives you the feeling of being a new kid again I, I'm just wondering if there is some you know if that feeling is springing back up uh, the feeling of possibility uh, yeah, I, you know from
2: a songwriting standpoint I had to go away with the intention of never coming back hmm. I, I really had left I had done everything I wanted to do and um in my house You're gonna laugh, but I just three weeks ago, for the first time, hung the first gold record I ever got and the first platinum record I got. Wow! Because I just I don't want to start, you know, resting on my laurels, my accolades. I have no desire for that.
3: Yeah,
2: they're just great moments, and I have all these platinum and gold records in storage. But there was one set that I felt meant the most to me, which is when I first got my first gold record, Hmm. it was infinity. We worked so hard to get that record gold. I mean, we flogged it by touring. There was no internet. It was was us in a bus rolling from city to city, six to seven nights in a row, five nights in a row shows. Then we flogged it to platinum. We didn't, I left February 1st of that year. I got home December 21st. We didn't come home for a year. Wow. But you had to, you were running for public office, you know, (laughs) you really were. There was no (laughs) way around it. You had to go. And so when, when, you know, when you were going from one place to the next, you'd stop in little cities along the way, Hmm. which were called secondary markets in those days. Yeah, you play a three thousand seater, which is, by the way, one of the bigger ones at that time because we were playing clubs. So you know, started to grow. Yeah, but um, I you know I, when we start talking about this stuff, it just happened again to me. I I get so it opens up exponentially.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, the the first two pl- the first two records were the most to me, so I put those up recently. Because I don't consider myself what you said earlier a star or nothing. I really don't.
3: Hmm.
2: I I don't think that carries any value to me. Hmm. Uh, and it is like starting over. It really is like starting over, putting up these two records for me because that's where it started. Yeah. And I t- I email my old manager. They're the most important to me because that's where it all started. And hmm. I thanked him. I thanked Herbie for that because. He believed in me. Called me. I joined the band. And if it wasn't for him believing in me, I wouldn't be talking to you right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
2: You got to have somebody believing in you, and he did. And and then, then what you were saying is there pressure to repeat? It's kind of like the you know the World Series. You win one year, can you do it a second? Yeah. But yeah. you know, you said, is there pressure? What I took that was. Instead of feeling the pressure, I flipped it into insistence.
4: Mm. Wow.
2: Just insistence, meaning it has to be great. Huh. That's all. Insistence on not settling for anything less than great. Yeah. And that can be friction within band members. We got to do it again. Well, why? That was great. Okay. We got that. Yeah. But yeah. Let's try to reach for more because I think we can do better with it. I think that basic track can be better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
4: Well, good
1: is the enemy of great, right?
2: Oh, my God, is that not a statement? No. That is a fact. That's not even a statement. That is a <laughs> fact.
0: Hmm. Yeah, you know, talking about the idea of, of collaboration, you, you were talking about you really thrive, um, you know, in the, in the collaborative environment. And I look at, you know, I look at a song like, O'Sherry, Sherry which which I believe is has three other writers in addition to yourself um, or I look at um, you better wait from uh, for the love of strange medicine album in 1994 which I think had maybe five writers but you're more recent record traces from 2018, almost all of the songs on that record are, are two person rights. Um, you mm-hmm. know, and, and you've got, uh, Randy Goodrum, who we mentioned, you've got Dan Wilson, you've got, uh, David Sprang, Brian West, there there's different people, but really the writer credits primarily on that album are kind of a, a one-on-one situation. And and I'd be curious if for you, the process. Is different in collaboration when it's just two people working together, just the two of them, versus having kind of multiple people in the room working on a song.
2: Well, the ones that have more than two people uh, was just an indication that whenever I write something like "You Better Wait" or "Oh Sherry," if there's people in the room with me, uh, then I feel at some level whether they're contributing or not. Um, they may have said something that went, oh yeah, hey, okay, maybe just one thing. In my opinion, this is old school songwriting for me, they're entitled to something because they were in the moment when it was being written. Oh. So Craig Cramp, for instance, was playing a drum pad while Bill Colmo and I were sketching O'Sherry, and he was there keeping rhythms for us and he, was, he ended up being the drummer on the track. Um, and so actually it was Larry London who actually cut the track, but he, would, he introduced me to Bill and so the three of us are sitting there writing the music. So then later, I brought in Randy Goodrum to help me write the lyrics. Hmm. And so a good example of that is, okay, was, was the lyric prolific? Was it like, oh, it's going to be great? No, it was not. It was
3: me mumbling, which is what I do a lot. <laughs> okay? Uh, I'll, I'll mumble like, feel me along you know i mean i'll do
2: stuff like that yeah and then and, and randy comes in and says it
3: sounds like you're saying it should have been gone <laughs> right. and i went well i kind of was but not let me try that should have been gone well
2: i like that it works good okay should have yeah. been gone okay then what would be the next line you know, so we work on what the next line sounds like, I'm saying. So 80 to 70% of all the songwriting is me writing melody with phonetics first. Yeah. With pocket. Because I'm yeah. an old drummer. I'm going to have a certain amount of rhythm in, in the phrasing, certain amount of phonetics that work for my voice.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and then I'm going to go back. And this is the hardest part. And find out what the hell I think I was saying. (laughs) (laughs) Should have been
3: gone, knowing how I made you feel, and I should have been gone after. (laughs)
1: singer i mean you know that resonance and you and you know what you're trying to you know the way you're trying to to place your voice and i think it's not every writer understands the difference between one vowel sound or another and and kudos for to randy for trying to capture your, your kind of your mumbling because you know to say it should have been gone that forward placement is very different than saying it should have been me which is the back of your throat can, and, can you imagine can yeah. you
2: imagine you know if if you don't find the vowels, that sort of, uh, how do I say this? There's a certain believability in all the singers I have loved. Hmm. Mel Torme, Nat Cole, Sam Cooke, Tony Bennett, you know, Gladys Knight. I mean, there is a believability in their choices of the vowel sounds and the notes they're singing with those vowel sounds. It almost is more important that way than anything. In fact, I don't want to make trouble, but uh, Radiohead, I would say that he knee jerks almost 99.9% of his decisions are made on vowel sounds.
4: Yeah,
1: those lyrics don't seem like they were written down beforehand
2: those lyrics were written afterwards to make sense to the vowel sounds that he's not going to change
1: you know uh, especially talking about writing with great singers there's there's if a great singer sings a line it can trick you into thinking that it's better than it is Um, yes
2: randy Goodrum calls (laughs) i'm sorry but the greatest compliment i ever got was one from randy goodrum and (laughs) we're working on foolish heart and, and he grabbed his forehead. He took. His, he grabs his glasses in a way, and he holds them in his right hand as he's as he's rubbing his forehead with the back of his hand, with the glasses in front of him. He said, "The problem with your voice is you could sing the phone book, and it sounds pretty great." You know? <laughs> exactly.
4: Exactly. <laughs> and I
2: said, "What?" He, and I never heard no one say that. He said, but it's a problem because it may not be good enough lyrically.
1: And that may be why you have to be the one that pushes for things to be great. <laughs> because people hear you sing them and go, we're done. <laughs> and you go, no, we're not done. I, I know it can no, be better. we're not done. No. You know? Um, and I think about you guys like a song like Don't Fight It with Kenny Loggins. And both of you guys' voices on the same song. How did you even finish the song?
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Uh, yeah, that originally was a different kind of... Um, a lyric and he flipped it around uh, he liked it a different way
4: hmm.
2: it was, don't fight it don't fight it it'll only do you good that yeah. was a, and he changed it to, it'll do your heart so good and i said it'll only do you good was my line because i thought it sang much better than yeah. it'll, it'll do your heart so good but that see it'll do your heart so good if i remember correctly god it's been a while ago guys sorry if it's not true but i think that's correct
1: i think it's got both of them in there at one time or another actually
2: Perhaps I snuck mine in there (laughs)
4: something.
0: One of the things about songwriting is being able to break the rules, you know, if you're a if you're not a if you're not a great songwriter and you break the rules, then you know it doesn't work. But if you've got the right instincts and you've got the right sense of the craft, um, I feel like you can sometimes get away with just flagrantly breaking the rules. And you know, I am amazed that a song like "Don't Stop Believing," which is probably one of the more successful songs that that you've written and one we had referenced earlier. Um, the chorus really doesn't come like the whole song is a buildup to this giant chorus. And normally you would, you know, typically you'd hear a verse, maybe two verses. And then you get to the chorus. That song, the chorus is like three minutes in when it really cranks in yet. Everybody knows that chorus. Everybody sings along to me. That's a song that defies the rules, but works so perfectly um and i'm curious if when you were writing that if there was any kind of sense of hey we're we're doing something consciously different here or is that just the way it kind of came out when we wrote the song in the
2: warehouse as i was talking about earlier that song was starting to happen in the warehouse and i turned to, to john i said look i have always loved songs that have quarter note piano like boom 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 you know mm. uh one by nielsen is a great song yeah oh, um, yeah. um Penny Lane, ding, 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 you know, there's so many great songs with quarters on the piano. Um, so I said, we, I would love to write a song that has quarters on the piano like that, you know? And uh, so he started playing around with some changes and I was playing the bass at the time. And so everybody started jumping in and um, eventually that riff showed up and I started singing the riff to Neil so and we worked that out. And then once we had the verses and the strangers, the B section, which I called the B, strangers waiting all along the boulevard, shadows searching in the night. And then streetlight people living just to find emotion, hiding somewhere in the night. Okay. That to me was a B section. To John Kane, that was a chorus. And I said, No, I don't think it's a chorus. I think now we need the chorus of choruses. Everybody does it differently. When I came along, it was like, write a verse that's familiar, that can stand alone, write something. The next section has to stand alone, equally familiar. But then when it came to Don't Stop Believing, it needed the chorus of choruses. And don't be afraid of melody, which was uh, announce the chorus of choruses with a guitar playing the melody that's about to come. Then start singing it. Yeah. So that was a way to get a guitar solo in there in that time that had melodic importance. Melody, melody, melody. You know, the problem with today's, gosh, I sound so old. The problem was some of t- <laughs> the problem with some of today's writing, not all of it, but some of it, some of the writing, um is that everything starts with ear candy.
4: Hmm.
2: Meaning, you know. Everything's electronic. You put on all these alt nation stations, and everything just bombastically is ear candy, meaning yeah. it already sounds good. Yeah. Okay. And so they feel impressed. They feel that is going to be enough. And it is tasty ear candy. Mm. The ear goes, wow, that's cool. Either the sound of it, the rhythm of it, or the sonics themselves are interesting. And then you, come in and somebody whispers (laughs) but you at that at that point you know or whines a little bit you don't you don't care because you've been hooked in by the ear candy but it's not a timeless thing melody melody is a timeless thing
4: yeah
1: you know it's it's interesting that you would point out nilsson and, and the Beatles, you know, talk about one and you talk about Penny Lane, it, which is not a reference I think that many people would think when they hear Don't Stop Believing. And yeah. then I noticed that you did uh, George Harrison's I Need You um, Beatles song on right. um, the Traces album. And, you know, we, we know that there are like some sort of like Sam Cooke influences and in certain things that we've heard from you. Oh, yeah. Are there any other influences that we might be surprised to know have been a part of your creative process?
2: Uh, if you listen to separate ways, you'll hear me pulling from the textural love of Levi Stubbs.
4: Mm. Wow.
2: When Levi Stubb goes, Bernadette! You
4: know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Bernadette. It just breaks up.
4: Yeah. You know? It's like hitting and an you, amp. It,
2: right. It, it's like overdrive and it sounds so good. Yeah. You know? Um, I, I tried to reach for some of the performance uh, mm. overdrive, I guess would be the word. Vocal yeah. overdrive on separate ways.
0: So back to the new album, being a songwriter. And again, these are, these are classic songs that you are, um, you're covering here, but you still have the instincts of a songwriter. So that's going to influence how you're drawn to, to certain songs. And, you know, with the songs in this record, there are a million different ways that you could approach them. These songs have been covered by a lot of different artists and they've been covered, um, you know, in a lot of different ways. I'd love to to talk about how you approached this project, you know, being a guy who understands concepts of songwriting and arranging. Um, when you sat down and started looking at some of these songs that meant something to you from your childhood, what was the process like for you of, of how to actually interpret them rather than just, you know, record them?
2: It's an excellent question because these songs, in my opinion, needed to be treated with the reverence of the original song, Hmm. which is the melodics and and the simplicity have to be there so that you're not over singing. We used to call it over singing, by the way, nobody, (laughs) you know, there was, or Olympic singing at some point, it became silly. (laughs) You know, I mean, there was, everybody was riffing their asses off, you know, that's, that was once called over singing. So I still believe that it's not a good thing to do. And, so when it came to these songs specifically, I had to really pull the reins back even more and mm. focus on that original emotional feeling. Uh, for instance, um, I'll Be Home for Christmas. Um, Dallas came up with a keyboard entry. It was just this keyboard. He'd have this little, that's a little keyboard part. Mm -hmm. Immediately, I heard,
3: oh, I want to be home with you. Oh, I want to be beside you.
2: That became a part to introduce the song. And uh, then
3: the I'll be home for Christmas
2: came in right after that.
3: Christmas, you can count on me. And I
2: didn't want to do it with the belly tones of a Bing Crosby.
4: Hmm.
2: Though that was the original thing I heard when I was a kid. He's very, he's out of snow and mistletoe. Yeah, He's very, very, very chest oriented with his tones. And so it was a little bit challenging for me to step out of those tones and let that melody work for my voice. Mm. So I kept working on it till I could find a way that it felt emotionally uh, reverent to the melody. Yeah. And at the same time, believable being me.
4: Yeah.
2: Same thing went for um, when it came time to do a, what do you do on New Year's Eve? Uh, I mean, this song was written uh, in 1947, it says, you know, I mean, wow. wow. Yeah, um, and and then I heard Ella Fitzgerald do the the intro to it. Oh my goodness! Yeah. So I felt like we got to tag the intro on it. We have to do the intro because I don't think I've recorded a song with an intro before. Yeah. Hmm. So songwriting wise, songwriting wise, that needed to happen too, and I was so grateful because I just love the intro to that song. And then it's one of my favorites, What Are You Doing New Year's Eve? Because in the back end, I get a little sort of jazz bluesy with it, which yeah. is something I really vocally took a liberty to do. But in the spirit of Ella, that's the place to do it.
4: Yeah.
1: You know, it's when you, when you mentioned What Are You Doing New Year's Eve and you mentioned 1947, I thought, oh, so it's asking the question, what are you doing New Year's Eve, you know, going into 1948? <laughs> and just then I thought about the context of ending World War II. And, and I thought about the context of I'll Be Home for Christmas. And I'm just thinking with all the world's been through in the last couple of years, this is a really significant Christmas. You know, there are some people that are going to be getting back together for the first time in years. And a song like I'll Be Home for Christmas all of a sudden carries a, a, a resonance that it maybe hasn't carried in decades.
2: Yeah, I think it's refreshed resonance. Hmm. Refreshed. It's always been there. The song has always said the most poignant, important thing. And it really has never stopped being credible in its emotionalism of what it's trying to say. Yeah. But boy, we have now, after what we've all gone through so far, uh, I think we've been like you refresh your computer when you know you have to reboot. Yeah. We've been rebooted yeah, into like, wait a minute. Hold on. Wow. Christmas is going to be kind of special.
4: Yep. It's yeah. going
2: to be kind of special. And these songs haven't left. We most likely left a bit, right? Yeah. Now, we. I think we've all been forced back in our bodies, in our lives. At least I can speak for myself. I have, for sure. Yeah. And uh, what's important has changed. What mm. is really important has changed. And uh, what I wouldn't give to be home for Christmas. And wow. uh, for me, emotionally that song takes me there.
0: Well, our listeners, uh, if they want to hear a holiday album from the heart of a songwriter who also happens to be one of the greatest singers alive, then we want to uh, encourage everyone to go and listen to the season out on fantasy records. You can stream it, you can uh, buy it in physical format, you can uh, get it however you want, but, um, a great addition to the holiday canon and, uh, Steve, we just want to thank you for for talking about the record and talking about your songwriting and influences and, and some of your own classics over the years. This has truly been uh, a thrill for us.
2: Oh, Thank you so much. And for those nice words, I owe you both lunch and uh, 20 bucks a
4: piece.
2: <laughs> 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 thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Happy holidays to you.
1: Thanks for listening. We'd love to stay connected with you, so please take a
0: moment to subscribe to Songcraft via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, we ask you to consider rating us and leaving us a good review. Word of mouth is important, and letting other potential listeners know what you think of the show helps us tremendously. And of course, nothing beats a personal recommendation. Perhaps take a moment right now to text or email one friend who you think would appreciate what we do, and send them a link to our show, letting them know how much you enjoy it.
1: As a reminder, you can sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com
0: and find out how to help support us at patreon.com songcraftshow. And you can follow us on social media by searching for Songcraft Conversations on Instagram and Songcraft Show on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks, as always, for listening and for your support.